was walking through town with Cole and Leo the other day. They both smashed their school reports, and so I decided I'd take them to the toy shop and get them some toys to just say, well done. And um, we were walking through town, and there was this girl on her mobile phone, and honestly, she was shouting at someone down that phone like I have never seen. Like, I, 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 I wanted to put my hands over my kids' ears because there was so much language <laughs> coming out of her. She was furious. And uh, there's something about someone being angry in public where they kind of, they lose all sense of decorum. You know, they don't care what anyone thinks about them anymore. They're going to say to whoever it was on the other end of that phone what they want to say. There's something about those moments that everyone just kind of turns. They're fascinating, aren't they? You want to look and see what's going on. You, you're kind of interested. What is it that makes somebody so angry in public in England. It is fascinating. And I think that if you find what makes someone angry, you learn something really deep about them. What makes you angry is, is important in your life. What is it that makes you angry? What is it that makes you go mad? What is it that makes you go crazy? Like you can't not say something. You can't shut up. You have to speak up. Or, or what, what is it that does that inside of you? I was thinking about this for me, and, um, and as I thought about this, I thought that there's some things which I'd like to share because I'm like, oh, I'm proud that I'm angry of that. And there's other things where I'm like, oh, no, that's awkward. Like, that's a little bit embarrassing. Like, I'm angry if I don't get my coffee in the morning. What does that say about me? I'm angry if, if I'm working and I'm in the zone and someone phones me. If you ever phone me and I sound angry... It's because I had a really good thought that I just lost, and my thoughts don't come along that often. So I, like, I have to grab the good ones when I get angry. I get angry over silly things, but I think that the most angry I've ever been in my entire life uh, was actually when I was in India. I was in Mumbai, and I went to this, um, this project in the middle of a slum. And we went into the red light district, and they took us to a brothel. And it's a bit weird saying it out loud, but they gave us like a guided tour of a brothel, which um, isn't something you normally say that you did in church. But we did. We went all around this brothel and we met these people. And at the end, they took us out and they introduced us to this lady uh, whose name was Sunny. And uh, they asked her to share her story. And she said that she'd grown up in a family uh, where her dad died when she was really, really young. And it was devastating for her. And then her brother started to abuse her. And she said she didn't know what to do. She was stuck in India, in, in, in the system. She was just stuck. And she wanted to escape. And so a friend said, look, I know somebody who needs a house cleaner. I can get you a job as a house cleaner. I've got a way out for you. And, and she described that feeling, like, you know, just hope, joy. There's, there's a way out for me. And so her friend took her to Mumbai, took her into the the city and took her to that brothel and then sold her to the brothel. And she said she woke up the next day in this room and all the locks were on the outside of the door, which is just like fundamentally wrong when the locks are on the wrong side of the door. And she said that they then told her because they'd bought her that she had to pay back the money. And, and then she just told us these stories day after day after day and everyone was there was crying. And honestly, I just had this ball of rage inside of me. I was so 
angry. Because I was like, no one should ever be treated like that. There's just something so fundamentally wrong with slavery. So fundamentally wrong. And it's crazy because when you start to look into it, the numbers are, are staggering. They reckon that there's 40 million people in modern slavery today. 40 million people. Like, I tried to give this some perspective. So the total population of London... Berlin, Madrid, Toronto, Paris, Amsterdam, and Washington DC is 22 million people. The numbers are staggering. It is such a crazy problem, and, and we should be angry about it. I think that it's impossible for us to get our heads around it. But the reason why we should be angry is because we believe in freedom. We believe that freedom is a right. We believe that everybody deserves to have freedom. And we're going to start a series today that is all about freedom. In fact, that's what I've named this series. I've named it, it's not going to be on the screen, I don't know why I'm looking. I've named it Free at Last. And the reason why I've named it Free at Last is because it's, it's taken from a quote from Martin Luther King. And he says that there will come a day when I will sing Free at Last, Free at Last, Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And my prayer is that there's going to come a moment in this series where every single one of us will sing that song, where we will see areas of our lives where we've been held captive. We'll see areas of our life where we haven't had freedom. And I believe that God's going to bring you freedom. And so my prayer is that we will be here singing, free at last, free at last. I thank God that I'm free at last. You see... Freedom isn't just political, there's all, sorry, slavery isn't just political, there's all different kinds of slavery. And uh, we're going to read a letter that is all about slavery. It's by a guy in the Bible called Paul, the most famous Christian missionary, and uh, it's a letter called the Galatians. And I think that this letter reminds me of, um, well it's an angry letter. Have you ever had a, a time when someone's hurt you, you, you wrote the email and you deleted it because you knew you shouldn't send them that email? Paul didn't delete the letter. Paul sent the letter. He is angry. He is frustrated. He is mad. And in this letter, it, it's, there's, like, there's, there's begging, there's aggression. He's calling them names. It's like he's swearing at them. It's like it should be written in caps lock. It is that letter. And the reason why he is so angry is slavery. Because he's looked and he's seen people that he loves that deserve to be free and they've been made slaves. And what I find fascinating in Paul's letters is he seems to me to be more concerned about spiritual slavery than he is any other kind. You know, I get mad about physical slavery, I get mad about political slavery, and rightly so. We should be mad about those things. But Paul challenges me. Because Paul gets mad when we're made spiritually slaves. Yeah. When we're made emotionally slaves. You know, you can be a slave to your job. You can be a slave to your spouse. You can be a slave to culture. You can be a slave to religion. 
You can be a slave to your habits. And it doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter what you want. It's like you just keep on coming round and round and round. And why, why do we think that these types of slavery are any less devastating than political slavery? You can be a slave to affirmation. You can be a slave to people's opinions. You can be a slave to words that somebody spoke to you 50 years ago. And yet you still hear them. And they still control you and you can't find freedom. Paul says it like this. He says, I have this desire to do what's good. And I know what's right and yet I do what's wrong. And I know what's wrong and yet I still do it even though I don't want to. Why do I keep doing this? It's like, it's like I'm a slave. It's like I'm trapped. It's like I'm stuck. It's like I need to find a way out and I can't. And I think that when... When you meet somebody else and they're just completely free, like, isn't that inspiring? It's amazing to see somebody who just, they're walking in absolute freedom. And I think that the more people you meet like that, the more you realize, hey, maybe I'm not. Maybe I am not as I could be or as I should be. And so um, we're going to jump into this. Today, the the, the title of this talk, which isn't on the screen, is called A Formula for Freedom. If you've got a Bible, I'd like to ask you to open it on Galatians. It's in the New Testament. If you've got a phone, it's easy there as well. And we're going to jump in right at the start. We're going to just work through this letter. And I like working through letters in this way because I find a lot of the time when I'm preaching, there's stuff I want to preach about and there's stuff that I kind of don't want to preach about. But by working through a letter like this, we're forced to just preach what the Bible tells us. Whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable, we're going to just speak the word of God because we believe that it has power to set us free. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to start today at verse 6 in Galatians chapter 1. And this is what Paul says. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. So just before I even go any further, I just want to point out something here. Uh, every speaker, every communicator has a pattern. Uh, normally when I speak, I will stand up, I will say hello, try and be friendly, and then I'll tell a story. I'll then go to the Bible and I'll try and bring some points out of the Bible because I've got a pattern. Paul has a pattern when he writes his letters. He starts and he says, hey, I'm Paul. You're awesome. I love you. And there's all of this friendly kind of stuff. But here in this letter, he doesn't do that. He kind of says, hey, I'm Paul now. And they just jump straight in. I am astonished. It'd be a little bit like if I just stood up in front of you and I was like, OK, guys, today look, we just need to talk. You'd immediately be like, oh, OK, something's wrong. Ben's messed up his pattern. Uh, there's something serious going on here. Uh, and, and you'd pay attention. This is what Paul is doing. He's forgotten all the formalities. He's like, look, let's just get straight to business. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we... Or an angel from heaven to preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you. Let them be under God's curse. I mean, that's a big sentence to say, isn't it? 
is like even if an angel flows into the cinema right now and preaches to you, if he is not preaching the same gospel, then, don't, then let him be cursed, he says. And, and this, is, this, this is actually helpful for us because there's other religions that have come after Christianity that have started because somebody said, an angel came to me and gave me some truth and gave me some wisdoms and now we're going to start Islam. An angel came to me and gave me some truth, gave me some wisdom. Now we're going to become Mormons. And so for us, we can look and say, well, actually, we've already got an answer for this. Paul says right off the bat, even if it was an angel, even if the angel came with wings and fire and glory, if he's preaching a different gospel, we don't have time for it because there is only one gospel. I mean, it's huge, right? It's huge what he's saying. In verse 9, he continues, he says, As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. I just want to pray, and then I'm going to unpack some of these words a little bit for us today. Lord God, we, we only want your gospel. We want to be a community of your gospel of your words. Lord, anywhere in our lives that we have turned away from this, anywhere in our lives that we have lost clarity, where we've muddled this, Lord, I, I want to pray that you reveal this to us. Lord, we want your glory to shine above everything else. So just, just speak to us. We open our hearts to you today. And we just ask, Lord, that you, you bring us a new sense of your freedom through this. Amen. Um. At one of our Alpha courses, I was uh, just before it started, I was in a coffee shop and I was talking to a lady and I invited her. And um, she was this fasc fascinating lady. Her boyfriend was a Muslim and uh, she, she wanted to come, she wanted to explore faith. And, and she described herself as being spiritual. And um, I didn't really understand exactly what she meant by it, if I'm honest. She was telling me lots of stuff that I don't really understand about stars, about stones, about forces and the universe, and, and it was confusing to me. But she finished off by saying, saying these words. She says, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you believe, does it, as long as you're sincere. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. I mean, really, God is God, and all religions are just trying to connect with God, and and as long as you're sincere, as long as you're trying your best, like surely that's enough, like that's, that's right, isn't it? And, and it kind of sounds nice, that sentence, to say it out loud, like, yeah, that, that, that sounds nice, like surely God is gracious, surely God is good, surely, surely if you're sincere, God will just, it doesn't really matter too much. And yet at the same time, what we see here is Paul getting really, really angry because people are disagreeing with his beliefs. And Paul is saying, you know, what you believe is not incidental, it is fundamental. This is the centre of who you are. It really matters what you believe. And so I thought before we get into what Paul has to say, I wanted to talk a little bit about the difference in people's beliefs. Because there's a lot of different beliefs in the world, there's a lot of different religions in the world, and I think a lot of people think this. We think, you know, as long as we're, we're trying our best, as long as we have some faith, then it's okay. And what I want to show you is 
that there, that there may be some goodness in every single religion. Uh, there may be beauty, some beauty in every single religion in the world. But that the similarities, they are superficial and the differences are fundamental. The, the different religions in the world, they're not all just different sides of the same coin. There may be some similarities, but they're superficial. But that the differences between these religions are fundamental. And so I'll start uh, a brief overview. I'll start with um, Buddhism. I could probably get Rob to share with Buddhism. He would know a lot more than me about Buddhism. But what I know about Buddhism is that there's, there's no kind of sense of heaven. There's not really even a sense of God. They're not, they're not religious in that way. There's just the countless rebirths. And, and the idea of Buddhism is that you're reborn, you're reborn, you're reborn. And eventually, if you get it right, you get to reach the end of this cycle of rebirth. So you, you get enlightenment. And Hinduism, people often think is really similar to Buddhism, but actually it's very, very different. Hinduism believes in one God who is revealed in, in thousands of different kinds of deities. And the thing that Hinduism and Buddhism have in common is, is karma. They're fundamentally built on this idea that what you do, you get back. That, that everything you sow, you reap. That what you get in your life is what you'll get out of your life. But, but in a very specific way as well, which talks to you about staying in your station. It's how the caste system in India really took off, was because the idea wasn't to outgrow yourself, it was to be who you are in your position, the best way that you are. If you're born a tailor, you stay a tailor, and you be the best tailor you can be. If you're born low, you stay low. If you're born high, then be the best high person you can be. But it was all about that, and the idea was of karma, and, and then the idea was hopefully that you get a rebirth and then you'd end up in nirvana or in enlightenment, in, in perfection. Islam is completely different. Again, Islam is like there is absolutely, categorically only one God and his name is Allah. Uh, and there's no other room for anything else in their spirituality. There's an absolute ban on all idols. Uh, you would describe Islam as an orthopraxy. Ortho means right, praxi means action. It's all about the right activity. And the idea in Islam is if I obey, Islam means like submission. If I submit to God, if I do everything that he wants me to do all of the time, then I'll be living a good life. But the thing with Islam as well is there's no assurance of heaven either. I chatted to a, a guy called Daniel in a mosque a little while ago about heaven. And he said, well, it's a little bit like taking an exam. You put in your study, you take the test, but you will never know until the final results come back whether you've passed. And the point is for Islam that it's, it's entirely up to God. God could decide he likes you, or he might just decide he doesn't like you. And, and really God is the powerful one, but, but the focus on Islam is about what you do. You have to live the right life. And that's what all of these religions have in common. It all comes down to how do I do the right things to, to earn salvation, to earn rebirth, to earn enlightenment, to earn forgiveness, to get myself to heaven. And this is where Christianity goes in the exact opposite direction. You see, Christianity is nothing about what you do. It's everything about what Jesus has already done. You see, in Christianity, what we believe is that, 
that I could try as hard as I like and I will never do enough to, to make up for it. I will never do enough to save myself. I will never do enough to be able to fix myself. It doesn't matter how hard I fight, how hard I push, there will always be something missing because I've broken my relationship with God. And so we believe that Jesus came so that we could be saved. It's not that God loves us because we're lovely. It's God loves us because God is love. It's not God forgives us because we're morally upstanding. It's God forgives us because of Jesus, who paid what we could never pay. There's, 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 some, there's some incidental similarities between these religions, but fundamentally, they're completely different. In, in Romans 3, Paul says it like this. He says, righteousness is from God, and it comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. I heard someone say like this, what's your job in faith and what's God's job? God's job is everything. Your job was to sin. <laughs> so you've done enough, you sinned, and then God did everything else. And now all you have to do is have faith in Jesus and you get everything. I was thinking of this as like a maths equation, uh, just to make it simple. I know that like I'm quite a visual thinker, but I'm aware that some people here are more like mathematicians. Hands up if you're more mathematical than kind of artistic, because that way you're brainier. So I'm, I'm trying to think of you guys today. I hope this helps you and blesses you. If it doesn't, don't tell me that it didn't, because I don't want to know. But, but if it did help you, then you're welcome to tell me. That's how that works. So this is my equation for faith. Or is there going to be room? We'll work this out. This is as good as my maths ever got. This is A-level, if you weren't sure. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not Jesus plus Lyrics when you're worshipping. It's not Jesus plus good sermons. It's not Jesus plus that prayer time that you're supposed to have every single morning. It's not Jesus plus memorising Bible verses. It's not Jesus plus I do all my actions right all the time. It's just Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That, that's, that's the formula for Christianity. That's what it looks like. Jesus plus Nothing. And so this is when we talk about, you know what, Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. And what we mean by that is you can spell religion D-O, do. It's all about what you have to do. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to live this way. You need to speak this way. A relationship is spelled D-O-N-E. It's done. Jesus has done it all. It is all finished. It was finished 2,000 years ago. There is nothing that you can do to mess up what Jesus did on the cross. Those were his words. He died and he said, it's done. There's nothing else. I have done it all for you. You don't need to achieve anything. You don't need to achieve forgiveness. You don't need to achieve faith. It is done. It is a gift. It is yours. This is the formula for freedom. 
And when we look in this story of Galatians, well, what's happened is that this young church in Galatia, that they've, they, they've heard this news and they've responded and they said, yeah, we want to follow this Jesus. We want to know him. We, we, want, we, want, we want to live that life. We want to tell people about him. And then some other people have come from a Jewish background and they said, well, how are you going to not sin? I mean, it's great that you know Jesus. We believe in Jesus as well. But how is it that you're going to live a right life, that you're not going to end up in all of this immorality? How are you not going to mess up? That you need some help, right? You need to add some stuff to this to make sure that it's okay. And so they said, well, what you could have is you could have Jesus plus the law. And you could follow the law. And you need the Torah, and the Torah will protect you. Actually, do you know what else you need? You need Jesus plus circumcision. And all the guys were like, whoa, I mean, I like Jesus. Um, and they were like, yeah, you need the law. You need circumcision. You need to follow the Jewish ways. Because if you don't follow the Jewish ways, you won't have forgiveness. And this has driven Paul mad. He's like, he's like how dare you come and tell this church that they need anything else? They don't need, and it's not that he doesn't like the Torah. Like He was a Jew. He followed the Torah. It wasn't that he didn't like circumcision. The man had, like, he, he had all of that. He was okay with it. But his point was, Jesus and nothing is what gives you everything. Don't, don't add anything to it. And he says this word. He says, um, let me find it. He says, evidently, some people are throwing you into, convert, into confusion and they're trying to pervert the gospel. The word pervert literally means reversal. It's when you take something that's supposed to be used for one thing and you use it for the opposite. It's that you're taking the gospel and you're turning it upside down. You've turned the whole thing back to front. The, the center of the gospel is grace. That Jesus has done it all for you. And the moment you start telling people they can only belong if their behavior is right, you've turned the gospel upside down. You have perverted a gospel of grace. The gospel is all about the glory of God and what he has done, not the glory of us and what we have achieved. And so um, I've been thinking about this this week. And uh, I'm going to just move this in case you can't see this clearly. And I don't know what you're like, but I've been reflecting on my life and trying to challenge myself with this and think, well, what, what do I do? Do I do this well? And I don't, I'm not saying you do this because I know that you guys, you're like way holy and, and you're awesome. But I'll tell you what I do. This is what I do. I change this one to performance. And what I want is success and money. And I think, do you know what? I need some cash. I need to be doing well. I need people to respect me and tell me that I'm brilliant. And I think, actually, do you know what I really should be doing? Better performance. That's what I need. I need to perform. And this, to be honest, I'll just be honest with you this morning. This is my story this year. The Soul City, this has actually been my testimony that I've, I've looked and I've been so passionate and I've wanted people to come here and meet Jesus. Like I get so excited for that and I, and I want you guys to be built up. I really want you to flourish. And I think that sometimes when you're church planting, it can be 
it's like it's a crazy environment, right? I mean, I, I realized like for me as a church planter starting this, I, I was starting on my own, paid a day a week, barely able to put food on the table. And um and every single day I'm thinking about well what's the sermon gonna be like this week? What what's the pastoral care gonna be like this week? I'm looking at people who are struggling in their marriage and I'm I'm worried for them and I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to reach people. I'm trying to create culture. I'm trying to be organized and I'm trying to be creative. I'm trying to be big picture and I'm trying to be fine detail. And I'm, I'm, I'm just fighting. And I'm going every single day. And, and at some point, I think like it, it, it went wrong for me. And in the summer, I haven't talked much about this, but in the summer, I crashed. I crashed hard. And the reason I haven't talked about it so far is because I think that it was still a bit of a wound. And I have a rule in preaching that we don't preach from wounds, we preach from scars. That we have to deal with something first before we bring it to help other people. And this has been something that I've been learning this year. Do you know what? Yeah, I I I want to have purpose. Yeah, I want to do something big with my life. But I made it about my performance. And then do you know what I realized is is when you make this your equation, it doesn't really finish here. What happens is I also get distraction and emptiness and stress and pride and greed. And all of this adds up. And I feel brokenness. I feel tired. It's hard doing it on your own. I find deceit. Like, I'm trying to create an appearance for people. I'm more worried about what people see than about what's authentic and real happening inside of me. I become self-reliant. I become disconnected from community. I become disconnected from God. See, I think that this is the equation, but I end up with all of this other stuff as well. I'm going to put this table on the end because I don't want these to fall off. And I had this moment back in September where I realized what my problem was. My problem was I thought I could do it. I want to tell you today, you can't do it. You can't. You don't need to do it because Jesus has already done it. You know what? If you you get to the end of the week and the work isn't finished, you don't need to work another day. Because that's saying, I believe I'm the one who has to complete everything. Yeah. You know, that's what the Sabbath is. It's, it's, this, it's this, I think that it's just this radical cry that there's something fundamentally different about our lives. Where we get to the end of the week and we say, do you know what? No more. No more. I don't care if, if my reputation falls apart because I didn't finish. I don't care if I don't get the promotion. I don't care if I don't get the pay rise. I don't care if my house is a mess for another day. I'm not defined by any of that because I am just a human. And God is God. And so I stop before I'm tired. It's not whether I'm tired or not. It's because I recognize that I've reversed the equation. I don't know. Maybe this isn't yours. Maybe I'm talking to you and you're like, I I don't resonate with this as well. I think there's another one. Maybe yours looks like this. What you really want is to belong. Oh, no you don't. You want that one. 
There we go. You want, you want to live it long. You want to be blessed. You want God to look at you with favour. And so what you tell yourself is, well, maybe if I behave the right way, then I'll get the blessing. Maybe if I do the right actions, then I'll get, I'll get this amazing sense of being part of God's family. I'll, I'll get all of the community around me. I'll, I'll be blessed and he'll pour out his love on me because I've done the right things. I've lived the right way. I need you to know that Jesus has already sacrificed enough. Blessing does not come from your sacrifice. It comes from Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice was eternal. You don't need to sacrifice to earn anything. If you've come in here, I know that everyone's here has been before, but you need to know you don't need to behave a certain way to belong in our community. You're welcome here. You can be in here. You can believe different stuff. And we just want you to know that you can have a home here. Because we don't believe that behavior is what's going to define the blessing in your life. We believe Jesus is. We believe that he has just poured out blessings upon us. You know, the story of my life is just God pouring out blessings. And I look sometimes, I'm like, I don't know what I did to deserve that. I don't know how I got this wife. I don't know why I was allowed to have these amazing kids. I don't know how you pulled me through that situation. But God, I am blessed. And when I look back, I don't look and say, oh, yeah, it's because I did this. Oh, yeah, because I behaved that way. I'm like, do you know what? God has just blessed me. And so my behavior flows out from my blessing. It flows out from my belonging. It doesn't go the other way. I don't earn it. I don't know about you, but maybe when you do this, you suddenly find yourself with extra blocks. You start to feel guilty. You start to feel shame. You start judging people. People who are most concerned with their own behavior, I find, are the most judgmental people I've ever met. Because you judge everybody like that. You judge everybody with the same gospel. You start to feel ashamed. It wears you down. Jealous, you're frustrated, far from God, you're dry, and maybe you even you, you wonder why. And this is the craziness of this, this formula because what you think is if I believe, if I behave the right way, then I'm going to find myself full of life. Then I'm going to find myself like just basking in the presence of God, and so you behave and you feel dry. So then you get more judgmental and you're like, well, maybe my behavior wasn't right again. And you attack yourself more and you feel what more dry. And it goes round and round and round. I've got one more. Maybe this is you. What you really want in life, if you're honest, you're not so worried about belonging. You're not so worried about blessing. What you need right now is a bit of safety and a bit of peace. You just need it all to be okay, right? So how do we achieve this? We take control. I, I'm not going to risk. This is my family. Now, I'm the rock of this family. I'm the one who's holding this together. If I'm not here, if I'm not turning up, if I'm not making sure it all goes the way that it should, well, who else will? I'm the person who's got to control this. 
I'm the person who's got to have this all together. Don't you know I've got bills to pay this month? I've got a mortgage. They're, they're, you can't preach to the mortgage company, right? I need to be in control. I don't want you to mess this up. So like, I'm going to keep you at a distance when you're messing up my life. Because what I need right now is peace. What I need right now is safety. But have you ever noticed that the people who are the most controlling are the most stressed? It's like as much as they're trying to get peace, the opposite happens. As much as they're trying to be safe, they they never feel it because our control is an illusion. We live our lives out of control. And we just don't want to think about it. We think that our job is going to be our safety net. We think that our our insurance is going to be our safety net. And I don't think that we realize how tenuous our lives are day by day by day. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, well, come to me and I'll look after you. Come to me and I'll give you everything that you need. He says, seek first the kingdom, live righteously, and I've got the rest. I'll give you everything. And we're like, yeah, I believe that. And we'll say hallelujah on a Sunday morning. Praise God. That's amazing. I'll respond to that sermon. And then we'll go home and we're like, yeah, but like, let's be real right now. We're outside of church and I, I really do need to sort this out. Because we actually deceive ourselves with a reversal of the gospel. When we feel restless, we limit our lives. We become negative, we experience anxiety and worry and stress and anger and insecurity. You see, We think that this is the equation, but we don't realize that there's also another and sign. And that we have to take all of this. When we say, I want to be the one in control. When we say, I'm going to do this my way with my performance. When we say, if I live the right way, then I'll get everything that we need. What we're saying is, I'm going to try and get all of this myself. And you know what the craziest thing is, I think? The Bible tells us if you want safety, you can find it in Jesus. The Bible tells us if you need peace, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Bible tells us, you know what, if you want to belong, if you feel like you need people to connect with, the root is Jesus. If you need to be blessed, you don't need to behave You don't need to have it all right. You just need to ask Jesus. And what you will find is an abundance of grace and love. I mean, he's not always going to give you everything you want, but he will give you everything that you need. Jesus, I mean, maybe it won't be success, but it will be meaning. If you want to live a life that means something, the only way is Jesus. And Jesus promises you will lack nothing that you need if you follow him. See, Jesus is the equation answer to all of these. And what he says is you can choose, you can perform, you can behave, you can take control, or you can trust that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And when you do, 
you get to give him your anger. You get to give him your insecurity. You get to give him that anxiety. You get to give him your pain, your restlessness, your worries. You get to give him your disconnection and your brokenness. He says, give it all to me and I will fill you. Give it all to me and I will forgive you. Give it all to me and I will give you everything else. Because it is Jesus plus nothing. And you receive everything that you need. I'm going to ask the band to come up, please. If you can squeeze behind my little wall that I've created. I believe today we've settled for lesser gospels. And sometimes we bring people in and we tell them the same thing. You know, you can, you can belong here if you'll be like us. You can belong here if you do what we want you to do. And what we need to do is we need to look and say, I've, I've believed a lie. I've got this wrong. And this is a reversal. And all we need to do is reverse it back and bring it back to Jesus. So I want to tell you today, if you're struggling for peace, if you're struggling for provision, if you're struggling with your purpose, if you're struggling with relationships, maybe you even just want to go deeper, you want to see God move in an incredible way in your life like he never has done before, you don't need to be the source of that. You don't need to be the answer to that. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. What is it that you need to stick into this box? What is it that you just need to put onto his hands? Maybe you're trying to crucify yourself, but you don't need to because Christ was crucified for you. That's the gospel. Maybe you've been beating yourself up, but you don't need to beat yourself up because Christ was beaten for you. There's nothing else that you need. It all flows from Christ. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to worship. Sound good? Sound good? Good. Lord God, we are so sorry where we accept something less than what you gave us. God, I'm sorry for when I try and perform my way into your grace. I'm sorry for when I try and behave in order to receive your grace. I'm sorry for when I try and take control because I don't trust you. Lord, I don't want to accept a lesser gospel. I don't want to accept something that isn't from you. I want to look to you. God, I pray for every single person here that whatever it is that we're holding on to, whatever it is that we're experiencing, that you'd help us to release it to you, to put it into your box so that we can know your favour, your grace, your peace, your blessing. Lord, I thank you that we have it regardless. 
we don't need to carry stuff that you've already offered to take for us. We just praise you today. We worship you today. We give glory to you today.